Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We are presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, Adam Spinella is in the building spins what's going on man how you doing hey Hey, sam i'm great i'm great it's uh it's basketball season in all of its glory in every single regard uh college hoops was busy this past weekend boys latin got their first win of the season going one and oh to start out for for our end here so uh full swing of things and it's great so it's definitely full swing of things here. We've got NBA basketball. We've got college basketball. We need to keep up on some French League basketball because I don't know if you saw any of the Vic highlights from this weekend, but goodness, he had yeah. some filthy ball handling moves. Uh, and then like took a ridiculous – he had a repeat of play this weekend where he crossed up a guy like four times from the left wing – picked up his dribble outside of the three-point line and then took two enormous steps and got to the basket for like a three-foot floater. It was the craziest thing that he's done in like a week. <laughs> yeah. yeah, in a week. Yeah, exactly. He's yeah. just, he, he's absurd. He, he's from Moron Mountain and he's one of the monsters and there's like, there's no way to describe his game other than just superhuman and freakish. And I haven't gotten a chance to watch the full game yet, but just seeing the highlights and the clips of the things that he did at the, the top level, uh, I think absurd is the only word that really describes him. Just completely ridiculous across the board. I mean, there's just no, there, there's it's very, very little that we've seen that has uh, been like anything we've seen previously yeah. with Vic, but okay. For some quick housekeeping stuff, go to, Game Theory Podcast with Sam Vicini over on YouTube. Subscribe there. Go subscribe to the box end one underscore over on YouTube. Uh, go follow Sam underscore Vicini on Twitter. Uh, that's where you can find Adam and I. Uh, I, what do I have? I have rookie rankings coming this week. I have a top 100 board coming this week. Those aren't out yet, but Adam, I'm sure you have a couple things that you can throw out there at the top here. Yeah, we're probably going to have some prospect takeaways from this weekend, some more video clips, some dive-in, stuff like that, um, and, and getting ready for a big series coming after Thanksgiving. But right now, just a recap of all the great college hoops that we've seen the last 72 hours. Yeah, and that's it. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk yeah. about some of the NBA draft prospects and college basketball games that have emerged over the course of the last 72 hours, which has been the first big weekend of college basketball 
action that we've gotten. Like last weekend was fun. It was a good appetizer. This weekend, it felt like we were filled with top 25 matchups with really exciting games. That entire Continental Tire Tournament over in Las Vegas was spectacular. Every single game, all three of them did not let up. It was absolutely, or four, four of them, I guess there were. Oh, it was absolutely four, phenomenal yeah. across the board. Um, but let's start with Kentucky Gonzaga. Number four versus number two. The Gonzaga Bulldogs beat the Kentucky Wildcats by 16. I believe the final score was 88 to 72. Uh, this was a game that more than anything for me was about Kentucky losing it and Kentucky still experimenting with what it does well. I think that when I watch Kentucky right now, they just have no idea what they do well and what their best lineups are and what works best functionally for this team. And there's another issue that I want to talk about in a minute here um, that I think is also a significant problem with them. But more than anything, I think they just don't know who their best players are, who their best lineups are. I think they're really still hunting in a big way because this team is just a little bit deeper maybe than what Cal has had other than like the platoon year where they just sub five guys in and sub five guys out. Uh, I don't know what to make of this. Do you? I don't think I know what to make of it, but I'm learning what to kind of steer away from and seeing Cal kind of experiment with some lineups tonight in different ways to try to, to get his players involved. I think he's starting to find a couple areas that he can run with a little bit further. The the biggest issue that I'm finding, and you talked about this, Sam, is having three non-shooters on the floor. When Kentucky does that, their offense is just way too stagnant. It's so easy to clog up the lane, and that takes away their ultimately best player in Oscar Shibwe from having a lot of space to operate down low. That when Shibwe, Severe Wheeler, and particularly Damian Collins are all on the floor together – there's just not enough floor spacing in order to make that happen. And, and what we're seeing now is that Cal has enough guys who can shoot the basketball that you don't have to construct a lineup that works that way. You just don't have to because C.J. Frederick can shoot. Reeves can shoot it. Jacob Toppin looks very comfortable. He had a, a few possessions where he took over in that second half with his one dribble pull-up in the mid-range area. If there's spacing and these guys are going to be allowed to have the green light, Kentucky's offense is going to be fine, but when you have moments with a bunch of shooting and then moments where there's no shooting at all, you're going to experience too many offensive lulls that you just can't keep up with really good offensive teams like Gonzaga. And that's where they dug themselves a hole that unfortunately they couldn't get out of. Yeah, and I do want to talk about the defense because I think the defense is a real concern for Kentucky Mm -hmm. right now. But yeah, offensively, like it, it's just these lineup constructions. Like you're running out like Oscar, Damian Collins, Severe Wheeler lineups. And it's just like these teams have no chance to score, despite the fact that Oscar and Severe theoretically are two of their better players on the team, especially Oscar. Um, the thing that really stood out for me in the second half was the way that this team operated when Severe Wheeler was off the court. Uh, when they let Case and Wallace have the ball and just kind of rock, it was much easier to find space on the interior. It was much easier to get space in the mid range. It was just a much more well functioning offense in a substantial way in this particular game. And 
it's frustrating because on some level, like I knew not, I guess I knew not to expect Kentucky to run a bunch of like, you know, ball screen offense and go, you know, one five high ball screen surrounded by like, you know, Jacob Toppin in the corner and CJ Frederick running like an action to fly up to the wing. And then, you know, Austin or uh, Antonio Reeves, like on the other wing waiting to shoot. I I should have known not to expect that, but that's the way that you beat this Gonzaga team defensively, Tennessee and now Texas have shown that this is how you beat them. You space them out. You make Drew Timmy guard in space. Timmy has improved defensively, but because he has such an offensive load and is so important to this team, especially right now with how their guards are playing, and that's not very good, let's be clear about that, it is so important for Timmy to stay out of foul trouble that sometimes he has to kind of like, you know, make a business decision to not potentially put himself in position for a foul. And then that makes it a bit easier to score on them. Kentucky just never really got them in space. Like it was just frustrating. It was like the second half, they did a little bit better of a job of it, but then they had guys coming in and out of the lineup due to foul trouble because Gonzaga, by the way, did a great job of getting Oscar Shibway in space and forcing him to guard Drew Timmy when he was already going downhill. Severe Wheeler took himself off the court. He just made some really poor decisions fouling uh, defensively at the point of attack. But like, it's just this Kentucky team works so much better, especially if you're not going to run real ball screen offense when case and Wallace is running the show, I think because case and Wallace, Mm -hmm. CJ Frederick, Antonio Reeves, Jacob Toppin with Oscar, hopefully out there at times tonight, it was because of Oscar's foul trouble was not Oscar at the five. It was on Yensu. It was, um, uh, Lance Ware. Lance Ware minutes. Yep. A, yeah. So I, I just, it's hard. It's hard because, like, also they missed open shots tonight. They they just missed a bunch of open shots. Like Antonio Reeves missed like four or five wide open threes, and you would expect him to make those shots. So like, part of it is shooting variance. Part of it is not playing to a team's weaknesses. Part of it is. I don't know. Like apparently like Oscar and Cal are saying after the game that like the team isn't executing the plays that Cal is calling. Okay. Like, yeah, there's there's a lot of, there's a lot to unpack. There's, there's just, there's a lot to unpack with it all. And I think the, the important part is understanding that the team isn't necessarily better when Kaysen is playing kind of the, the de facto point guard because Wallace is so good at running the show it's just about how damaging it is to have, you know, when you're trying to have uh, Oscar Sheway be your number one option. Severe Wheeler out there, yeah. complete negative in terms of floor spacing in that regard. It, it yeah. takes one other shooter off the floor, like Wallace, Sheway, and a bunch of shooters around them is probably your pathway forward to a good offense. And anytime you have Case and Wallace at the point of attack defensively, you have a shot to be disruptive enough that you're not going to be a terrible defense. Like I, I think Kentucky definitely has some things that they need to sort through on that end of the floor. But w- Wallace in his own is worth a few possessions of really smart play, shooting passing lanes, just picking up ball pressure enough that like to me that that's at least in closing time of close games, that's the lineup that they have to have on there. 
So K- Kentucky plays North Florida and Bellarmine uh, over the course of the next week, basically. They play Bellarmine on Tuesday, the November 29th, it looks like. So they have a couple games here where if I was them, I would be really giving Kaysen a real shot to run the show here in these next two games. I, I would be really seeing what you've got here. You have a chance to kind of work through some things offensively over the next two days that I think will be really beneficial for them. Here's the bigger problem for them. Oscar Shibway is a sieve right now defensively in space. And that I think is a testament not to his skill, because I think that you saw against Michigan state, I thought he played one of his better defensive games because Michigan state doesn't really have anyone that like, can put him in space and cause him a bunch of issues. Like they were playing a true center, like Matty Sissoko and they were playing guards that like, aren't these, you know, explosive guards who can really cause him issues. He had so many issues in space tonight. He was really struggling to move. He was just not able to drop his hips. He didn't have any hip flexibility. Honestly, I think he looks a little bit heavier than he did last season, which again is probably a testament to the fact that his conditioning isn't right. And he hasn't been playing with them. It's not like a comment on Oscar Shibwe's work ethic or anything. It's just that he's been hurt and he had that surgery on his knee or whatever it was. And that's going to take a little bit of time to come back from. But right now, like, like he really hindered them defensively in this game against Drew Timmy. Timmy just absolutely wrecked them in space, getting downhill running short roll ball screen actions, running trailer actions where they'd get them the ball going downhill. It's hard to make that work. I think Uh, when Oscars, it's hard to make their defense work when Oscar can't be the guy cleaning up because they also have guys like Reeves and Frederick who are not very good defenders right now either. And Reeves particularly, I think is struggling with some attention to detail things. Well, and it's not like they're bringing uh, another rim protector off the bench if Shibway has to sit for some of those minutes. Like in the, the times when Shibway sat due to foul trouble, Timmy was able to get to the rim at will and was absolutely cooking guys, both in that semi-transition kind of trailer spot and one-on-one in the post. He had those beautiful like double spin moves that he was doing like a figure skater where he got to the, the up and under with his left hand. Uh, the the Credit does go to Gonzaga in some regard for th- this is what they do to teams. They have athletic big men. They run a bunch of ball screens and handoffs on the perimeter and move the ball around pretty quickly and then find ways to attack downhill in space. And both Timmy and Anton Watson are kind of athletic enough or good enough off the bounce to be able to go at bigs who are stiffer in that regard. And that's how they always find ways to attack. Uh, Timmy is just so, so smart at knowing when to you know, have keepers on fake handoffs, when to cut angles and be able to get himself a little bit closer to the basket. He's so good at turning his drives into post-ups when he has an advantage and being really patient with them. And then I thought Gonzaga did an, a nice job all night on post-up feeds for Timmy, getting the ball in the middle of the floor where Kentucky couldn't necessarily send help or double team so that it was his opportunity to play one-on-one. Like I, I know Kentucky's defense is a mess, but I want to give Gonzaga some credit for how they were able to pinpoint and attack that in ways that really had gave Kentucky just no chance to make an answer. Yeah, I agree with you on that. Like Gonzaga is an incredibly smart offensive team, right? They always have been under Mark Few. 
Mark Few, I think, is like a genius when it comes to pinpointing matchups, point blank. Like tonight, Kentucky started to press them a little bit. Gonzaga's guards have not been great dealing with ball pressure so far this year. I think they didn't do great dealing with ball pressure at times in this game. Gonzaga had, uh, I believe, 18 turnovers, looking at the number now, in this game. Uh, Five of those were Timmy. uh, Or no, five of those were Strother, I'm sorry, and four of them were Timmy. But I think a lot of the time it's because the guards aren't super comfortable, so those guys feel like they have to like really overexert themselves to really make things happen. So what Few did then was he had guys like Drew Timmy bring the ball up or late in the game, he had Anton Watson bring the ball up. And it's not like Anton Watson is like some significant offensive player. He's mostly out there because he's an awesome defensive player for Gonzaga. Uh, but he does have real ball skills and he can bring the ball up the court. And Gonzaga took real advantage of that, especially once uh Kentucky made what I thought was a smart defensive adjustment in moving Jacob Toppin over to guard Drew Timmy and letting the five-man be the help guy. Because if you notice then, Timmy adjusted by stopping to drive, stopping his drives and playing more away from the basket as a playmaker who was trying to make things happen uh, away from the rim. And if you can get Timmy away from the rim, it's ultimately a win for you. Like Kentucky, I think, did pretty well guarding those Timmy passing playmaking actions. For instance, like he had the phenomenal like over the head pass to a cutting, if it's right, Malachi Smith. Like they did pretty well guarding that. Smith missed the layup, but the problem was that Onyensu didn't get a body on uh Anton Watson, and Watson just went up for the tip dunk. So it was it was execution stuff for Kentucky tonight. It, it was attention to detail, like going under a ball screen on Rashir Bolton with two minutes left in the game. He's a 45% three-point shooter. What in the world are you doing? Like it's, it's attention to detail stuff. It's them still figuring out who they are. There's so much wrong with Kentucky right now. It feels like I still don't really want to give up on them though. Cause I buy the no. talent, I just think that right now there are a lot of issues that Kentucky is going to have to figure out in the meantime. Uh, and, and it could look kind of ugly through the first month and a half of the season, but this team is immensely talented. Like I, I buy them long-term even pointing out all of these issues. It's hard to give up on a team that has this much experience and this much depth in November. Like you just, you're not going to get me to do it. I, I think that there's a lot that they have to figure out. Like you said, but certainly too early to hit that bread, you know, bright red light panic button time to jump off the, the wagon. Like, no, there, there's still time. There is a lot to figure out here. Uh, last thing I'll say on Gonzaga real quickly, Julian Straw, they're dribbling the ball way too much. Yeah. Uh, it, yeah, he's, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's got to play a simple game. I, I don't know if he's trying to show that he can do more than be a catch-and-shoot guy or if this is just kind of a necessity, like you said, of – cleaning up for some of Gonzaga's guards that aren't ready for handling pressure or a ton of the role that they're asked to do right now. I think it's but more that he's for doing what too it's much. Worth. Yeah. 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 I think it's more that for what it's worth. I think they're really relying on Rashir Bolton. Who's more of like a two guard, pure two guard. Yeah. And then Strother, who's like a three, sometimes like he's even best four. at the four for Gonzaga. Um, they're, they're really relying on them to make things happen on offense. What I will say about Julian Strother tonight, 
he played a super fucking tough brand of basketball. He had 14 mm-hmm. rebounds. I thought he was pretty good defensively. He was just really, really effective across the board tonight for Gonzaga. Mm-hmm. I thought he did a great job. He's good as a cutter. Obviously made uh, a few three-pointers in this game. Got to the foul line. He played a physical brand of basketball in a way that he doesn't always, I'm not saying this is like a substantial problem for him, but in a way that he doesn't always play. He went above and beyond tonight and was very aggressive and was very good. Yeah, I, I co-signed that one there. I think he's also going to be the the NBA player eventually who we look at when he first checks into NBA minutes and says, oh, he's a lot taller and bigger than I thought he was. Like he's He's a pretty big dude. Yeah, yeah, he's a big guy. Um, the, the last thing that's worth t- talking about here is Casey Wallace. Casey Wallace was awesome. <laughs> like, Casey Wallace was awesome. Let's just take a minute here and talk about the prospects. Uh, Casey Wallace went five for nine from the field, two of three from three, had four steals, was a pest defensively all night, had 14 points, had two assists. Like, everything I see from Casey Wallace makes me think he is a top 15 pick. There's no, I, I've seen no real flags yet from him that make me worry so smart defensively uh, always positionally sound when he does gamble he wins those gambles and he knows the right times to do it and not to do it he's just he's a competitor in every single way there's enough versatility in his offensive bag in terms of shot making from the perimeter he's got a really nice floater when he's driving to his right hand I like a lot of the pieces to his game and he just seems like that guy that's not really going to going to strike out at all because at, at the very least what you're going to get out of him we saw in one stretch tonight is a really great sequence Nolan Hickman's driving to the basket and Cason just takes the ball like rips it right <laughs> out of his hands runs and goes the other direction and throws a lob for an LU like the the ability that he has to just turn defense into offense make special plays and and be a winner at any point that he's on the floor during the 40 minutes there. He's he's a lottery talent. There's no doubt about it in my mind. Yeah. No, I, I'm with you on Kaysen. Uh Chris Livingston does not look like a 2023 draft prospect at this point. Let's call that what that is. Um, Strother, I think this was one of his better games. I think that this is one that he'll point to uh, on his tape reel and say that this was a good one for him. And then, like, we've talked about Drew Timmy in the way that he impacted Kentucky's defense more than anything. He's just terrific. Like, even just little stuff. Like, uh, I think it was Malachi Smith came down the paint for his only bucket of the game tonight and was driving left. Timmy just completely sealed off his man at the basket for an easy bucket in the first, it was just, he's, he is terrific. He does everything, all of the small stuff you need. I think that his defense needs to get better. He knows that his defense needs to get better. You know, there are some effort things that he gets frustrated about. I think Gonzaga in general is still working through some defensive issues. They had some like substantial communication breakdowns tonight, but this is early season college basketball. And when you have drew Timmy, who's been a four year player that is, maybe the best player in college basketball. It's a, an enormous marginal advantage and Gonzaga and drew Timmy uh, will continue to be one of the best teams in the country this year because of it. Yeah. I mean, Kentucky did not show up for the first 10 to 12 minutes of that game. Just wasn't organized in any type of sense. Their offense wasn't collective unit. All Gonzaga blitzed them out of the start. 
but the final 25 to 30, like we got a pretty good matchup. We got Timmy versus Oscar, which is something college basketball fans have been clamoring for for a long time and was great to see it. Fun game. And I think the biggest thing for me is college basketball is fun in that type of environment. And Drew Timmy is the exact type of guy that makes it fun, a personality, a polished player, somebody who continues to return to school and can lead his team to victory in a, in a somewhat dominant fashion. Okay. We're going to take a quick commercial break. We will be back uh, here in a second to talk about, Virginia, Illinois, Baylor, and UCLA, all of whom played this weekend over in the Continental Tires main event, I believe that was called. We're talking about players securing the bag when they get drafted in June. I need to tell you about securing your internet connection with NordVPN. What is a VPN? It's a virtual private network. A VPN reroutes your traffic through a remote server, encrypting it in the process. This is going to hide your location from your ISP, hackers, and from other people looking to get your data. Everybody knows that I watch as many movies as I can. I think I've probably watched like 40 or 50 this year already. Some movies are blocked in Australia. It's really hard for me to watch them. Uh, For instance, uh, anybody who's tried to get their hands on Godzilla minus one recently knows that it's basically only available in Japan and you need a VPN. If you want to go to like Amazon prime or something to be able to watch it. So when I'm blocked from watching a movie in Australia, I just queue up my VPN. I change my location and it unlocks a category of movies from all of my favorite streaming services. As somebody who's always on the go connecting to public Wi-Fi is a necessity, but it's also just a goldmine for hackers. That's where Nord comes in creating a secure tunnel for my data to travel through away from prying guys. There are other benefits to Nord as well. Your browsing history is yours and yours alone. Your virtual location is masked from those who seek to track your every move. It's like having a force field around your online identity. Nord VPN also goes the extra mile with threat protection. Malware, trackers, dodgy ads, they're all going to get blocked. It's like having a shot blocking big around your devices 24-7. Game Theory is Offering an exclusive deal for NordVPN. You're going to get four extra months and up to 75% off subscriptions. Just head to nordvpn.com slash game theory, G-A-M-E-T-H-E-O-R-Y to claim your account. Plus, with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. Go to nordvpn.com slash game theory to claim your account, nordvpn.com slash game theory. Guys, I can't emphasize enough uh, how much I use Nord every day of my life. Uh, Nord is a fantastic sponsor for us. So go support Nord, and it's a great product. So nordvpn.com slash game theory. Uh, Adam, I don't know if you're watching this beautiful, beautiful Houston, Oregon game, but we are getting the Terrence Arsenault breakout game in front of our eyes. Oh, this is a guy you and I have loved pre-draft is like one of the way underrated prospects in this 2023 class. 
and he's got 10 points in the first half. He just went coast to coast on a steal and dunk play. Uh, he has two threes. He's just doing it all. It's glorious right now. Uh, the agenda is thriving right now, Sam. That's that's good news for everybody. I don't have the game on in the background here, but uh, I am looking forward to watching that one because nobody loves watching Houston Cougars basketball more than me. Like they're they're my favorite team to watch in the country, and particularly when our snow pops off, like that's going to be a fun watch. Yeah, Houston and Pepperdine have been my two favorites up until this weekend, uh, where another team joined them. Uh, Illinois joined them, but I I don't want to start with Illinois. I want to start with Virginia because Virginia won the Continental Tires main event. They beat Baylor and Illinois, both of whom are very, very high-level teams this year, both of whom uh, I think are top 10 teams. And I've watched, God knows, probably 60 teams already, something like that. I would say that Baylor, Illinois, and Virginia are three of the six or seven best teams I've seen so far this year. Uh, I think they all look awesome. They're all older. Houston, I think, certainly is in that mix. Um, there, there are a few. UNC is certainly in that mix. Uh, there are a few others that you can point to, but I, I think that the way that those teams played, it was just such a consistently high level event. And I don't want to throw UCLA under the bus. I mean, UCLA played tight games with Illinois and Baylor uh, over the course of that event. But I think that the other three are just a little bit ahead of them right now. Um, Man, let's start with Virginia. Uh, Virginia beats Baylor and then beats Illinois, Uh, beat them both like by a not insubstantial margin of points, the game today, I think was nine points against Illinois. What what stood out for you about Virginia? You know, first thing for me standing out of Virginia is just, this is the deepest Cavaliers team that we've probably seen in in a decent amount of time that they've got a lot of different bodies that they can throw out of teams and always be fresh. Um, They're always going to be a really solid half court defensive team. That's what Tony Bennett is and does, but they now have the ability with Reese Beekman, with Kai Clark to pressure on the perimeter in ways that are going to allow them to get in transition a little bit more. I think that they have some really good individual defenders, some disruptors in the backcourt. You know, Armand Franklin has started to play a little bit better for them. I'd like Jaden Gardner to come around on the offensive end, maybe to where he was last year. Like something about him has looked off but incredibly deep and they're always going to be so, so solid because the defensive personnel essentially one through five is absolutely pristine. Like Gardner caught my eye last year as the best individual defender against Paolo Bancaro. He's back for another year and he might not even be their third best defender. So like this, this Virginia team is clamps when they really want to lock down on somebody. Yeah, and the interesting thing is that their six best guys allow you to be flexible in terms of lineups. Like you can play big with Caden Shedrick, who I love that dude. Like I absolutely love him. I think he's awesome. Uh, He's an incredible rim protector, great rim runner, great finisher, absolutely terrific, terrific 
role-playing big man. I don't know if he's an NBA prospect at this point, but he is like someone worth tracking at the very least moving forward here. Because the other thing is he executes their defensive scheme so, so well. His ability to fly out and hard hedge, his ability to recover. He's always there and help. He's just enormous. He's long. He's athletic. I I love him. I love watching him play. Um, He really gives them that kind of that backing on the back end and allows guys like Reese Beekman and Kia Clark and Armand Franklin to an extent, but most mostly Beekman and Clark to be hyper aggressive at the point of attack defensively and really get into guys like Reese Beekman. He has some moments where like he gets way over aggressive and like flies out and honestly, like kind of loses track of his man and the defense breaks down a little bit, but Virginia's pack line scheme under Bennett, for the most part, is a scheme where guys like don't really get a ton of turnovers all the time. Beekman and ha- having Shedrick behind them and having Gardner behind them really allows Beekman and Clark, but particularly Beekman, just to be hyper, hyper aggressive uh, out on the perimeter and frustrate opposing ball handlers at the point of attack. And that wears down their opponents. You can see that by the time they get to the final two or three minutes of games, like opposing guards are worn out of trying to get in the lane, create separation. Uh, I thought it also revealed some individual warts and some of the prospects that they've gone against, like guys who need to tighten their handle in certain ways might not be able to to just sustain that type of, of pressure when defenders put it on them. But I think that's absolutely right, that this Virginia team is going to have a little bit different of a dynamic because they – not just have guards who can apply that type of pressure, but reliable big men down low who are going to hold down the fort, who are going to protect the basket at any cost. And and that's, to me, if that fuels Virginia's offense in ways where they can play and transition a little bit more, because like Reese Beekman is flying. As soon as they're getting the ball, like he wants to take off and go on a full-out assault on the rim. So if this is a team that can get, 10, 12 points in transition a game, like look out. They're just not going to make any mistakes in the half court. And they're going to be so, so solid in other ways that they're going to win a lot of games this year. And let's talk Reese Beekman now, because you and I have been pretty clear throughout the preseason that I think we're a little bit higher on Reese than some people seem to be, you know, across the NBA draft sphere. I love the fact that he's a real playmaking passer who processes the game and at an exceedingly high level moves the ball exceptionally well. Uh, obviously an elite, 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 elite perimeter defender. I'm just a big fan of what he brings to the table. And he's been on my radar for the last realistically like 10 months, maybe not at the start of last year, but by the time the middle of last year rolled around just in terms of his defensive pressure, if you can be an elite defensive pressure guard and you can knock down shots and you can pass in the way that he can play make, that's enough. And ultimately the shot is the critical skill here. What have you thought about the jumper to this point for Reese Beekman, who had 17 points tonight uh, in this game against Illinois? Yeah, I think the the jumper still needs some work, just slight mechanical tweaks. Um it's probably a lot of a confidence thing too, Sam. I think that there, that that would go a long way. Him feeling a little bit more like every shot he's going to take is going to go in. I don't know if he buys into that right now, 
but it's the missing piece. Like there's, there's no question about it. It's really the missing piece. I think he's a smart passer. I don't know if I would call him an elite pick and roll threat yet. And I think part of the reason for that is he doesn't have that three point range. He doesn't have a super reliable pull up that he can go to at this point in time, uh, which handicaps some of the reads, the way that the defenses are going to play him, particularly in the NBA as a result. But if he can have a Patrick Beverly type of career someday where he just flies around and disrupts, makes smart decisions when he does attack the basket, lives in transition, and makes enough catch-and-shoot jumpers to survive, he's going he's gonna to be a very good NBA player. But I think that's a big if at this point. I'm, I'm still not really bought into the jump shot. Well, and he has shown flashes of it being a real positive growth skill. Uh, Illinois went way under a ball screen of his today, and he just flattened out, set his feet, took the shot, and was just happy to do it, right? Like, I, I think that that's, this, that's the thing. Beekman needs to be able to just pull up and take a three when someone goes way under his ball screen. If he can do that... I think he brings enough to the table in terms of defensive intensity, point of attack defense, deflections away from the ball, everything like that to be a really, really impactful uh, bench player in the NBA. The ability to put pressure on the rim, though, is a real question for him. Uh, And look, like I'm not saying that Reese Beekman's a first-round pick. I I don't think he is at this point. But he's like undeniably a guy that needs to be like a top 100 prospect at this point and probably more in like the 50 to 75 range. I think he just, he's got this extra gear that he gets to when he raises up and tries to dunk on somebody almost seems like he's levitating for a split second. And there's, there's real length to him and the way that he plays. He's a bouncy athlete. He's definitely aggressive and confident when he's able to get to the rim. And I love his defense. Like his defense is top tier what we see from perimeter defenders in, in college basketball. So he's definitely a guy that I think is going to be worth a flyer. But how much do you have to work around his deficiencies on the offensive end in order to keep him on the court is, is what's going to be the telltale sign of not just how high he dra- gets drafted, but what his NBA career kind of looks like. Well, and the thing with him is, is well, he's just an absolute gamer. Like, I would have told you coming into this weekend, and I still believe it, to be honest, that Baylor has the best backcourt in all of college basketball between LJ Cryer, Adam Flagler, Keontae George, whatever we get eventually from Langston Love. You know, Dale Bonner is like the fifth most talented guy on that team, and he'd be starting for a lot of SEC teams, right? Starting for a lot of Big 12 teams. But I thought Reese Beekman was the best player on the court in that game. I know Armand Franklin had like 26 points or whatever, but Reese Beekman is the guy that completely shut off the uh, hose for Adam Flagler, who's a terrific lead guard. They used Franklin. They used Kia Clark at times on Keontae George to like just really get under his skin and bother him. But they put Beekman on Flagler and Flagler struggled for the first 35 minutes of that game because Beekman was just absolutely hounding him across the court. So I I was very, very impressed with Reese Beekman. And then again, I don't know if he's the best player on the court today against Illinois. He certainly led the game in scoring. He had 17 points, had a terrific defensive impact again, probably was the best player on the court in that game again. And again, when you start racking up games where you're the best player on the court, when you're playing multiple top seven or so teams in the country, 
I don't know. That says a lot to me, I guess. Like that call me like the old school scout, like not, you know, looking <laughs> into the weeds and shit like that, but it does say a lot, right? It it does. Uh th- that Illinois game was super fun. Super, super fun from start super to finish. Fun. There was there was a, a period when there was like I think twelve minutes left in in the game, all the way down to the final minute, where it just felt like you couldn't sit down. I know the announcers kept saying it, like everybody's on their feet standing here watching this game. It's just, it had that buzz and feel where you feel like it's the final minute with the urgency that everybody's playing with the, the back and forth shot making and the plays that are going on. And then you glance at the clock and there's still four and a half minutes remaining. Uh, it's, it, it was a, a super, super fun game. I think it's, it speaks to how good Virginia has, has gotten. Uh, both on the defensive end of the floor and just with, again, their depth. But it also speaks to to Illinois being a really, really fun team. Uh, I am, I'm a big fan of the Illini and the way that Brad Underwood has, has assembled this roster. The tweet I just sent out spins. It says, now talking my favorite non-Pepperdine team this year, the Illinois fighting yeah. Illini. Oh, my goodness. I love this team. I love the way they're constructed. I'm so glad that you put it that way. They have wings that can shoot now and Matthew Mayer and Terrence Shannon. And we're going to talk about Terrence Shannon in a minute. They have Coleman Hawkins, who is going to be one of my favorite prospects in this draft class. Like unquestionably is just going to be my guy in this class. Great ball handler, great playmaker, terrific passer. He can bring the ball up the court, a genuine, like actual, like high post playmaking big on top of it, an elite, elite, elite athlete. And he's a great defender. He is terrific across the front court defensively. Flies around. He just, oh my goodness. I love him. I absolutely yeah. love Coleman Hawkins. Um, yeah. One of my favorite players. And, and he's drilling shots now. Uh, you know, and he's being threes. He's hitting threes. He's above, he was 42% from three coming into the game today. He had a huge uh, three-pointer in the middle part of the second half that prevented the momentum from swinging back towards Virginia, which is really, really timely from him. Like, If he is a reliable shooter, he goes from interesting to, I want this guy on my team because he fits almost yeah. any type of situation, any type of scheme, any structure that you want. He's 6'10", long, mobile, athletic, great in the open floor because he can run, he can handle he shoots it. He can be a pick and pop guy, which then allows him to play make from the top and the key. If you get him there, I really like Colvin Hawkins. Like he is, he is the breakout guy for this Illinois team for me. I know a lot of people want to talk about Terrence Shannon, the hot start that he's been on and going, what eight of nine from three or whatever he was on Friday night. But this is Coleman Hawkins really agenda to, to run with in terms of NBA draft prospects on this team. Like the more versatile areas he can play in, and show that he can be effective, the more it's just going to be about how high does he really rise in draft rankings. I agree, but let's be real about it. Like TJ Shannon is the guy here, right? Like TJ Shannon, based off of what we've seen so far this year, this is a first round pick, right? Like if he's going to shoot like this, where he sh- like he looks like a 40% three-point shooter in terms of confidence, in terms of the way it looks coming out of his hand, in terms of athleticism, he is explosive as all hell. In terms of passing ability, playmaking ability, 
His handle has drastically improved. He can dribble with his right hand now. He's playing at multiple speeds. That was a thing that he really struggled with at Texas Tech, playing at multiple speeds, being able to slow it down, being able to you know, change direction, being able to not foul and get out of control with his body. He's doing all that now. And he's making high-level passing reads out in, out on the move, out in transition, on the break. Uh, he throws some wild passes. TJ Shannon should be a first-round pick based off of talent. This is a guy that declared for the 2021 NBA draft, was one of the last guys to return to school, got hurt last year, really seemed to struggle, it seemed like, to get any sort of any sort of momentum going under Mark Adams is the new coach there. Uh, any sort of real offensive identity, because that was the team that struggled with offensive identity as it was, it felt like. Yeah. Now he's in Illinois. Brad Underwood plays a much freer style, willing to let him go do what he does best. Everything I've seen so far says that Terrence Shannon is a first-round pick this year. He's He plays the right position. He's the right kind of athlete. He's a shooter. All of it says that that's how this should end up. Yeah, I'd like to see a little bit more in terms of the handle, Sam, and I think that that got brought to my attention a little bit more today just with the intensity of the defense that Virginia yeah. can put on guys at times. Like He was he was really great Friday night in terms of both his shot-making and, and some awesome passes in transition. Like That's where he pops when he doesn't have to make ball-handling decisions in tight spaces, but he's he's got a ton of upside. We've always known he has this upside. And it's just another example of somebody leaving Texas Tech, whether it's Mark Adams or Chris Beard, and kind of the, the scheme and the system that the, they've had and experiencing an offensive type of renaissance. That's just kind of what happens when you get out of there. And, and the, like you said, much freer system. The shackles are off to kind of come in there and play his type of game. I'm just really glad we're able to see it because it provides a much neater evaluation for what Terrence Shannon can bring to the table for a team. And it's secondary playmaking that's really smart and reliable three-point shooting without sacrificing anything on the defensive end. Yeah, no, I I totally agree with you. Uh, If he's going to shoot like this, Adam, where he's able to knock down shots off of different footworks, on the move, off of different actions. Like that that's the thing that stood out to me. It wasn't just okay, I'm you know knocking down spot up threes because guys are leaving me open. It was I'm knocking down step back pull up threes. I'm knocking down threes off of movement. I'm knocking down threes, you know, off of a like hammer action like off of a baseline, you know, uh kick out, right? Or even off of a baseline out of bounds play. It was just ridiculous. Like he was absolutely absurd as a shooter in a way where I'm like, okay, I, I buy this now. Like I, I actually genuinely think that the mechanics look good. The results are there now. It's it's hard for me not to buy the shooting, I think. So many people have been calling this for this breakout for a long period of time. And Matt we just, Penny we, included, by the way. <laughs> shout out shout Matt out. Penny. Shout out Penny. And we've been waiting. We've been waiting. We've known he has the tools, the athleticism, the length, the fluidity. We just never got to see it. It's here. We're witnessing it. And now the next question is how consistently is it going to show up? Is this going to be him every single night? Are there going to be flashes of this? Is he going to go for 28 one night and go eight of nine from three? 
and then have five points on one of seven shooting and a negative assist to turnover the next night. We need to see it consistently. That's the beauty of the course of an entire college basketball season is all of those things bear out. But Sam, we have talked about maybe the biggest gainer of returners in Terrence Shannon. Can I just say one more thing on Terrence Shannon? Because I I know where you're going now, and I think that it's a worthwhile conversation. But the last thing I will say on Shannon is the passing. I think that that's actually the big differentiator for him. I think previously he actually struggled to process the game a little bit, it would seem like at times. But that's that's gone. Like that's completely gone now. He is able to make high level passing reads on the move, on the fly with his left hand very quickly. And he had six assists in this game. He had five first half assists uh, in this game against Virginia. And he struggled with the pressure. No questions asked. Like the ball pressure that Virginia put on him was real. But I don't know, man. Like I I buy them and I I buy this Illinois team in general. And I know that you want to talk about your, uh, your newest big fan at this point. Yeah. So, I mean, we got Terrence Shannon Jr., who I think we're all learning to love again and embrace for who he's evolving into. You've got Coleman Hawkins, one of the most intriguing prospects that you can find because what can he not do on a basketball court that's intriguing? And they've got the most fun player in college basketball. Dane Danger. We are entering the danger zone here, Sam. It- <laughs> He's just fun, man. He's six nine with like a reported six 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 seven wingspan, ridiculous length. He's an absolute monster down low, averaging a double double in about twenty minutes a game. Super polished scorer down in the post, and and a really really smart passer. Like what we're seeing from him is exceptional feel to go with his physical tools and qualities to score one on one against UCLA on Friday night. The scoring was there. Quick post moves, using his physicality, quick spins. Always, always, always has an idea of how to score in the low block. But what we saw today against Virginia, few more of those assists and those kickout moments because Virginia does like to come and send pressure and, and sometimes two guys to the post, that he was getting hockey assists. He was making the right reads. He had a really awesome keeper and a fake handoff that ended up getting him a dunk shows his feel like he's always thinking one step ahead of the game and to find a big man who can come off of the bench for you and provide that type of offensive spark is so rare, not to mention just how much of a motor this guy plays with. He's battling for loose balls and diving on top of guards. Whenever he sees one roll on the floor, he's tapping second chance points out to everybody else and fighting for third or fourth opportunities coming down with offensive boards and traffic how do you not love watching this guy play basketball? Like the experience yeah. for him is so real because he's efficient because he scores and does uh, enough passing on the offensive end to make it work. Like his game is tailor-made for college basketball. It's not for the NBA. There are some defensive worries and just a lack of like perimeter movement and an ability there, but for who he is and what he can do to impact the Illini right now, he's one of the most fun players in college basketball completely agree with you in terms of him being incredibly fun. And the other part of it is that makes it really interesting is because Coleman Hawkins is who he is and is able to play on the perimeter, is able to initiate sets, is able to shoot. It allows them to play together and it gives Illinois real lineup flexibility and versatility to be able to play a lot of different ways. Uh, Really 
So like there's a good chance based off of what I've seen that Illinois is going to be like my favorite high major team in college basketball this season. The one thing that they need, they just need one thing and it's a guard to step up and like really truly run the show. Uh, it's going to have to be one of Sky Clark, Jaden Epps or Sincere Harris. Sincere Harris completely turned that game against UCLA just entirely changed the trajectory of the game with his ball pressure defense. I don't know if he's good enough offensively to run the show. Sky Clark, I don't think has the burst yet that he had before the knee injury that he had in high school. I'll be interested to see what that looks like moving forward as he gets further and further away from the knee injury. I think Epps is the guy I've been most impressed with so far in terms of a potential to run the show for Illinois. I will be interested to see what they do at the lead guard position. Cause if they can get one of those three guys to be a legit starting lead guard, like starting big 10 quality lead guard by the end of the year, I think this is a final four team. I, I don't think that's an absurd thing to say. And part of the reason why I, I tend to agree with that I think Brad Underwood is one of the most underrated coaches in America. Keeps yeah. the game simple for his team, but dials up the right plays at the right times. He has uh, enough layers within their offense that they know what they're doing. And he has consistently found ways to scheme his team to success on the defensive end of the floor. I love Brad Underwood. I think Illinois is going to be a really, really tough out in the NCAA tournament. Completely agree. Uh, okay, Let's go to Baylor next. Let's just go in the order that these teams finished in this tournament. Uh, Baylor goes one-on-one in this tournament, loses to Virginia in the first game, beats UCLA in the second game. I guess Keontae George is like the best prospect in this tournament, right? Yeah. What did you think of Keontae in these two games against high-level competition? Yeah, I mean, it's you try not to overreact sometimes to the individual performances for different reasons. So it was a mixed bag on the first night there against Virginia. Like he had 20 points, but he also had five turnovers and fouled out. Like there was some positives, some things that he just he didn't quite look really ready for with. As we talk about that ball pressure, that feisty defense that the Cavaliers can bring at you. And that was where he kind of had to default to some of the other guards that Baylor has to do a little bit more initiating, a little bit more separating, and, and try to move more into that off-ball type of role. And then against UCLA, he just he didn't make perimeter jumpers. And there are days when guys are just going to get cold in that regard. It, it, yeah. it happens to everybody in some regards. So I don't want to overreact to any general themes that we've seen from just this weekend because I think there's enough goodwill uh, built up based on how he's played earlier this season in AAU as a high schooler to to know that he's capable of performing well in these types of instances. But I didn't think it was the greatest weekend from him, and it's certainly something to track as we watch Baylor play a, a full you know high major competition schedule moving forward of how his separation is going to look against ball pressure and different guard defenders. Yeah, so – The Virginia game, I think, is the one that was interesting, both positively and negatively for Keontae. The the UCLA game, like, he just missed shots and, like, just wasn't – it wasn't as much going on for Keontae in that game. The Virginia game was interesting because it looked overwhelming for him 
at first. Uh, it was his first like truly big college basketball game. And it, it, like, it looked like he wasn't quite ready for the level of pressure that was going to be applied to him. Like he just got flat out ripped multiple yeah. times. Yep. Like the ball got taken from him multiple times. And to me, for a guy that's as good of a ball handler as Keontae George is, and as much as it's like a craftsman and a technical, like technically impressive handler, that says to me, just wasn't quite, wasn't, wasn't quite ready to be as like turned on to being engaged as he needed to be in the first half. That changed in the second half. I thought he was much better in the second half. And I thought he adjusted to the competition well. One of my favorite things that any prospect does in this class is the way that Keontae splits uh, ball screens when teams put two on the ball. He really just throws that dribble out there and creates all sorts of separation. It's so quick. It's quicker than anything he does. He recognizes it and just goes every single time, right? So that is probably the thing that I was most impressed with. He did it multiple times against Virginia's hard hedges and got open looks every single time that he did it, either for himself or for his teammates. Um, He made a couple of killer movement threes, I thought, in this Mm -hmm. game. They were super impressive. He also got lost defensively a few times. I think he's a really good on-ball defender. I think he's still working through being a, you know, in the right spots as an off-ball defender. The talent is there. Like you can see the way that he thinks the game. You can see the way that he crafts his decisions and the way that he goes about it. I think he's definitely at least like a top 20 pick. I'll say, um, I think he has a chance to go much, much higher than that by the end of the year. Once he's completely adjusted to college basketball could, could certainly end up going, you know, six, seven, something like that, whatever we're talking about here. Right. I would say right now, like I feel comfortable saying that he will be a top 20 pick will be a one and done. I've seen nothing that like gives me full stop worries about Keontae at this point. Yeah. I I like him a little bit higher than that. Like I think probably lottery is as low as I'd feel like I could slide him right now, just because I know when he gets hot, like he gets really, really hot as a game changer and it's hard to find guys who can play on ball and off ball in the backcourt so seamlessly. Like he's really good at making the extra pass, spotting up and knocking down jumpers, knowing when to take them, and he can run the show a little bit. So I I think the combination of skills that he brings at the one and the two is impactful enough for me offensively that I'm going to take him somewhere in that lottery range, if not a little bit higher. But I do think there are areas that he needs to work on, right? He's got to continue to uh, raise the challenge of, of perimeter defenders that we saw. His defense does need a little bit of work in that regard, and he's not the most gifted athlete that we'll find in this draft class. But he is a natural in terms of scoring the basketball, and I don't want to let a poor shooting night against UCLA and a bunch of turnovers that he had in the first half against Virginia overshadowed the fact that he's still a really damn good prospect. Yeah. He's a great prospect. And when I say like uh, top 20, I say like worst case scenario here, right? Like really struggles to get it going in big 12 play struggles with the pressure, like the ball pressure and everything. I'd be staggered if he went outside of the lottery, I think, but like I, I try to this early in the season, I try to keep yeah. it more sure. open than I think most people do. Sure. Um, 
anyone else on Baylor, like Jalen Bridges was invisible in both of these. Yeah. Games. He just, he, he was, I know you and I are both Bridges fans, but this was a rough weekend for him. Like he had a bunch of opportunities to try to finish near the basket and just could not convert. Like, uh, LJ, no woman, no crier had a, a an unbelievable hot streak, uh, in today's game against UCLA and just could not miss from three. He was unconscious, but that's kind of the Baylor experience. Like it's, pick your poison or it's, you know, every night a different guard kind of seems to step up and have a really big game. I think we just got to play the law of averages and look at the end of the season to see which of these guys can turn into a prospect other than Keontae that you might want to take in, in 2023. Yeah. And by the way, look, the guy that was consistently like statistically good for Baylor was Adam Flagler. Right. And he had 22 in the game against UCLA, did a great job. Uh, had 15 points and seven assists against Virginia. And when you do that against Virginia, like that's a pretty good game. But like I said, it felt like Reese Beekman well and truly got the better of him in that game. So uh, it is worth acknowledging that. Let's go to the final team here, UCLA. This is the team that has the most prospects out of all of these teams. It's also the team I've been least impressed with out of this group. Um, I'll be honest. I'm very skeptical. Amari Bailey is a one and done at this point. I don't even know if skeptical is the right word. Like he's not a one and done. I think it, the UCLA is going to find some struggles in trying to even keep him on the court in big games and in big moments because he's just not ready to play that scalable off ball role that the Bruins yeah. are going to need when you have guys like Jaime Jaquez and Tiger Campbell who can really run the show for a college offense. I think you're right about that. This team looks better when David Singleton is in. Yes. Like they run the two man game with Tiger Campbell and Jaime Hawkes. You have Adem Bona or Kenny Wuba in the dunker spot. And then you have Jalen Clark out there because Jalen Clark is awesome. Um, we're going to talk about Jalen Clark in a minute, but I think they run a little bit better when David Singleton's out there right now. And that's not a statement that David Singleton at 23 years old is a better long-term prospect than Amari Bailey. It's that 23 year old David Singleton is better than 18 year old. Cause I believe he's pretty young for his class. Amari Bailey um, better than Amari Bailey right now. Cause he's just a little bit more developed and he's a way better shooter. That's the big thing. Yeah. I think Amari is okay as like a secondary ball handler. He hasn't really struggled as much with like turning the ball over or getting too big for his shoes, like making bad decisions. It's just that like if he handles the ball and doesn't lose it, there's no final product right now. Like he doesn't really have great passing ability to be able to make that high level read and then he's just not a scorer at this level in the half court right now because he doesn't shoot it well enough, and he's not explosive enough at the rim uh, in the half court. So, yeah, yeah I mean, I, I think we're going to see some real moments where UCLA goes to guys like Dylan Andrews, goes to guys yeah. like certainly David Singleton uh, in big moments over Amari Bailey, who only played 21 minutes in the second game uh, against Baylor today. Yeah, and had no field goals in 29 minutes against Illinois on Friday. Uh, You know, the challenge with Bailey, it's kind of the same thing that we saw last year with Peyton Watson in some regard of like talented player, good prospect in many, many ways, 
But this is a team in UCLA that has an urgency to win games now, has a ton of veterans that they can go to and plug into to different lineups and, and positions there. And all that they need around Campbell and Hawkes are scalable off-ball players. And if you're a young guy that's used to dominating or playing with the ball in your hands and you struggle to adjust to that role, you're just going to take a back seat. I'm not ready to, to jump off of the Amari Bailey bandwagon in terms of long-term upside of being an NBA player. But I think he's going to have a really difficult time proving that he should be a one-and-done type of prospect that gets drafted in the top 40. He's just not going to have the, the data, the amount of reps that he needs in different areas to show scouts what he can do. And that's the right thing for Mick Cronin and for UCLA. That's that's yeah. all that they need to care about is winning games and maximizing a pretty special group that they can have with Tiger Campbell and Jaime Hawkes. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, Adem Bona played 14 minute, minutes against Baylor, uh, struggled with foul trouble against Illinois as well, did get 21 minutes in that game. Another guy that just I, I thought was like not impressive at all. And this is a guy that I've been told preseason – uh, looks like a one and done. Everything that they saw at UCLA, he looked absolutely terrific. Th- let's just start with like a base level thing. Like, I don't think his hands are good enough right now. No. Like, yeah, I, his, I don't trust him to catch the ball. Yeah, and his touch near the basket was disappointing. That when he would catch it on the interior and have an opportunity to make a move, just one strong, you know, turnover his his left shoulder with a right hand baby hook or, or a little lay in. He just was kind of missing those easy opportunities and and on a veteran team i know i'm going to say this ad nauseum when we talk about ucla if you're a young guy your role is to come in and make the simple plays that those experienced and really good players kind of gift wrap for you and bona's inability to catch basketballs to finish near the basket it's going to play him off the floor in some regards like we've seen him struggle to stay on the floor this weekend despite playing good minutes and having some solid flashes against those lower major teams on the earlier parts of their schedule because when push comes to shove, you need reliable guys that you can trust to at least know what they're going to give you. And right now, Bona is all upside but no polish, and that doesn't help you win games in the second half. Well, and here, here's what I would say, though, about Bona. He's going to get much more runway than what Amari Bailey is yeah. because UCLA just doesn't have anything behind him. Like, That's right. All due respect to Kenny Wuba, who – like, honestly, I thought was probably more effective than Bona was in the Baylor game. I would anticipate by the end of the year, Adem Bona is the better player than Kenny Wuba. Um, I, I, yeah, this, this was a rough one. It was a rough weekend for the UCLA prospects, but it was not a rough weekend for the Jalen Clark agenda, which you and I have been preaching for a while. Jalen Clark... He had 23 points against UCLA. He had 10 rebounds. He had a billion deflections yeah. in their first game. Estimating ballpark, approximately a billion deflections against Illinois. He gave up 29 points to Terrence Shannon. It had nothing to do with him. I mean, it had a little bit to do with him because I think there is one thing that concerns me in terms of him being an NBA player, given the role that he will have. Oh, my goodness, do I love Jalen Clark. I absolutely love him. I think that his ability to play without the ball is so scalable to the NBA um, in such a substantial way. He just really needs to improve two specific things. 
But I'll give you the floor because I know that you also love Jalen Clark as much as I do. He's a coach's dream, Sam. Uh, you love guys that do all of the little things and are really, really smart basketball players. And that's just who he is and kind of who he's been since day one. It's why he's earned a role on the UCLA team despite not being a fantastic uh, off-ball threat consistently. And, and he's getting a lot better as a shooter. I know that's something we'll talk about here. He's so freaking good on the defensive end of the floor. His anticipatory skills at just knowing when a reversal pass on the perimeter is coming is outstanding because he uses his length, his anticipation. He gets into passing lanes and creates those deflections or steals, what I call pick sixes, going the other way. Really quick hands on ball. He's an incredibly smart cutter on the offensive end of the floor, which is why he's able to play off ball and and not necessarily be a ball-dominant guy. It's the jump shot for me. Uh, I don't know what to to really make of the shooting. He had a a really strong start to the year. And then in today's game, like he had a bad air ball, and there's just moments where the touch doesn't seem to always be there consistently for him. But when he does enough of the little things and he never's turning that off when he's on the floor, you're going to want to make an investment in a guy like him. Like he is, if he doesn't end up being a top 45 type of guy, the first person I'm instructing my, my boss to call his agent for a two-way signing and getting him into our training camp because he's just going to make our team better by being there. So I think I'm – I don't know if I feel this way yet, but I'm pretty close to the point where I think he's a better prospect than Jaime Jaquez. Oh. And the reason for that – and I love Jaime Jaquez. Yeah. I think he's terrific. Um Jalen's defense translates to the NBA in a way that I worry a little bit about Jaime's translating. Mm -hmm. Jalen's defense in terms of being able to slide and stay in front of literally anybody in terms of like a perimeter player. He's six foot seven and can guard like point guards easily, like has zero issues staying in front of point guards. Uh, His hand eye coordination is staggering. Absurd. It is unbelievable he gets his hands into every action without fouling he is so disruptive uh he's disrupting dribble handoffs he's disrupting you know drives with digs down onto ball handlers he's disrupting everything that you do offensively uh when he's out there on the court the one thing that i worry about with him in terms of the role that he has to play outside of the shooting which i I agree with you i actually don't really think he can shoot right now i know that he started well I'm worried about the shooting enough to where I would say, like, I, I would call him maybe not a non-shooter, but not a guy that if I was scouting, I would tell the, my players, like, hey, you need to close out on him. Like, I, I would not say that. The thing that worries me is there were a couple of moments against Illinois where you could see Terrence Shannon get downhill and really be able to bump him off the ball. And his strength physically, given the role he's going to have to play defensively at the NBA level, he needs to get stronger. That's actually like kind of the number one thing for me, even more than the shooting. If he's going to be a defense first guy in the way that I think he can be a defense first guy, I think he's going to be in the mix for like national defensive player of the year this year. I think he's that good defensively. Mm -hmm. Um, For him to be, for him to be the kind of defender that 
he needs to be on the offensive or on the defensive side of the floor in the NBA, he has to get stronger because he can't take these bumps from Terrence Shannon and fly away off the ball. Because imagine what happens when it's Luka Doncic. Imagine what happens when it's you know any number of high level wings, Paul George, even like a skinnier guy that is strong enough to bump him off the ball in a pretty substantial way. I think so. That, that that's where I'm at. Like he needs that. He can be a great defender of guards, but then you're more like Alonzo G versus like, you know, a super high level impactful defensive player. Alonzo G. I was not expecting to hear that name tonight. Do, Sam. Do you remember the Alonzo G hype train for the Cavs? That was I a, do. You got a three year, $10 million deal. Oh, we, we love the Alonzo G a lot better than was- Alonzo F. Sorry. He was always better, though, at defending guards was yeah. the thing. He struggled with wings, was great at defending guards. That's where Jalen Clark, I think, has to really take that next step. It's just in terms of physical strength. Um, that's it on the Continental Tire Tournament. Uh, so what else do we have here in our little document? You ran through a bunch of names here. Yeah, so, one, one thing I'll give quickly, Sam, before we move on there, just uh, one thing on Jaime Jaquez. Um, from, yeah, 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 let's talk from, about Jaime. One, one quick thing there from Jaime Jaquez, just the ability that veteran college players have to recognize when their team needs them to do something specific is yeah. invaluable. And that's where, if we're talking about winning basketball at the college level or even winning basketball at the NBA as a role player, just knowing what the team asks you to do when – and there was a point in today's game um, when Baylor was really starting to make a run in the second half and I think pushed the lead up to nine after being neck and neck for pretty much the entire uh, second half and maybe even the game up to that point. Jaime just took over for two or three straight possessions in the middle of that second half. He had an awesome like fake spin into a fadeaway jumper that he got an and one on and banked it in off the glass. He had another bucket a couple of possessions later, then came down and moved his feet and ended up blocking a shot as Baylor's guards were, were trying to attack him. Like he recognized that eight minutes left, but Baylor's going on a run. We're down by nine. I've got to take over and do something right now. Get me the basketball let me settle us down, settle our offense, cut that lead down to five, and then you get to the next media timeout, and everything's done. All of that has has disappeared. UCLA is ready to gather themselves again. What an unbelievable moment from a veteran player to recognize that he needed to step up at that period of time. I, I love Jaime Jaquez, not just for the fluidity and the skill that he brings to the table, but the understanding and feel for the game that is just so, so elite. And by the way, you just brought it up against Baylor. He did it against Illinois in the first half of that game, too. He he felt Illinois going on a bit of a push. And he and Tiger Campbell started to run some two-man game where they recognized Illinois was switching all actions. And he'd just go and take Jaden Epps down on the block or go and take Sky Clark down onto the block, get a mismatch that way, shoot over the top, or drop step to finish. Uh, or like he'd try and pin his man high when it was, I think – could have been RJ Melendez guarding him Um, pin him high and try and take open up all that space behind him to be able to just catch and finish right at the rim had a couple of really impressive spin finishes I I love Jaime Jaquez I'm just a little bit more worried about the jumper Uh, I thought hopefully last year was a bit of an aberration 
the jumper hasn't come out wildly hot this year either. No, no. but uh, if he can become again a scalable off-ball player in the NBA, where he has to be able to knock down those jumpers consistently. I just think his awareness, his IQ, and versatility is going to allow him to be a really damn good pro in some form or fashion. Yeah. Uh, okay. L- let's go to other news and notes from the weekend. Uh, y- you have a couple of Connecticut guys here. I do want to bring up Andre Jackson. Uh, they kind of play him as their point guard when he's on the court. I'd imagine he'll be in the starting lineup like as soon as this week again soon. Uh, his passing ability, you know, in their two games against, they played Delaware State today. I forget who the first game was against. But the defensive ability in that first game, oh, my goodness. Just he was everywhere on defense everywhere. in that game. Yeah. Just absolutely. It was one of the best defensive highlight clips, period, that I will see. Like it, it, everywhere. Abs- absolutely everywhere. And it's so translatable to the next level because of his size, his athleticism. He can switch one through four. And that type of aggression that he brings to the table of jump switching a ball screen or a handoff and steering the action closer to half court, having quick enough lateral mobility while, you know, having good hands to be able to poke plays away. Like he's going to be a disruptor at the next level because he can defend so many different types of positions and, and knows how to be aggressive against all of them. Yeah. Uh, also, Jordan Hawkins had a great first game this weekend. It looks like he went yeah. three of 10 uh, from three against Delaware state today, but Oh my goodness, just was on fire in that first game. They played UNC Wilmington uh, on Friday night is what it was. He had 20 points. You know, I think he made like five of eight from three. He was, he was awesome in that game. Thriving, Sam. Our Jordan Hawkins agenda is absolutely <laughs> thriving right now, and I am here for it. Uh, who do you want to talk about next? We have a big list of guys that you wanted to run through. I'll uh, I'll jump to two freshmen here to start, if that's all right. Two 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 Let's quick freshmen. One of them that I've been high on for a long period of time. That's my boy Judah Mintz at Syracuse, eighteen five and five against Northeastern. He's just got a funky game, man. Like he scores it and he's got enough size at the point guard spot that he's, you know, he can play crafty and in different types of ways, but he's got this strange timing as an athlete. Like I remember I grew up a Celtics fan watching Paul Pierce play a lot. There was something about the cadence of his jumper that was really hard for defenders to contest. Cam Thomas at LSU, very similar type of thing. This, slower nature to his release. Everybody seems to jump either a half second early or a half second late. Judah Mintz kind of has that, like this weird timing to his movements, to his pull-ups. It just makes him harder to guard in a certain aspect. Through a few games here, he's averaging 18 a night. He's an exceptional passer, particularly in terms of hitting the roll man, which is the key to my heart, you know, pick and roll handlers who don't just get in the lane and look for that kick out. Like, Take the easy two, man. You're, feed your big man who's getting you open with those physical screens. And, and Judah tends to do those things. He lives in the 15 to, to kind of 8-foot range in the lane and makes great decisions when he's there because he is always going to be a, a threat to score when he's in that, in that zone. Uh, I, I love Judah Mintz. I think that he has been one of the most underappreciated freshman uh so far in college basketball and is firmly on my list of 
one and done guys that I'm keeping track of. Yeah. And we've talked a lot about mints in the preseason as someone worth tracking. Uh, you had a second freshman though. And this is a guy that like, I've gotten a couple of people that have reached out to me randomly about him. Uh, Cause this team played, I believe it was Florida state early. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yeah. I got some people that asked that kind of called and were like, Hey, do you know anything about this guy after the Florida state game particularly? And yeah, I, I actually don't really. So this is going to be exciting. Yeah, Taylor Hendricks at UCF. Uh, think of him as the most athletic six foot nine shooter that you know. Fifty uh, percent from three to start the year right now. Like he's been on fire, and when you're making shots right out of the gate, you're going to catch people's attention, which is something that he's definitely done. Uh, but he looked like the best prospect on the floor in that game against Florida State, and I know. The Seminoles have had a tougher start to the year than many people anticipated. Hashtag free Baba Miller. Uh, but Hashtag free Jalen Carey. Or Jalen Worley, not Jalen Carey. I'm sorry. Jaylen Hashtag Worley free Jalen Worley. Like, where, what's yeah. going on there? We, we love Jalen Worley. Shout out West Town. We love Baba Miller. Free Baba Miller. Uh, Florida State's got some things to try to figure out there. But without a doubt, Taylor Hendricks was the best player on the floor in that game. And he's got unlimited confidence right now. He's hitting movement threes. He's got a super quick release. His feet are barely gathered underneath him. And he's rising up and looking really, really fluid, uh, springy athlete. He, he just looks the part of a, a really, really good NBA player. And part of the reason for that is he's defending productively. He uses his size and his frame to find ways to, block shots to get steals like the numbers and the metrics are backing up a lot of the raw tools that he brings to the table right now i think Hendricks is going to be one guy we have to look at really closely this year to see if, if he continues to shoot the ball at a sustainably high level he's going to be an intriguing freshman come draft night so he had 19 again today against santa clara three for 10 uh from three against oklahoma state in an upset uh, had 16 points, three for four from three with 12 rebounds in that game. Uh, yeah, six foot nine, athletic shooter. That's, that's enough to get you home most of the time. Yeah, that checks a lot of boxes today's game. Yeah, yes, yes, it does. Uh, I I guess that like I, the last guy I would bring up personally, I think you have a couple more on this list, uh, was Trayvon Brazil. Yeah. He absolutely freaking baptized someone this weekend uh, for South Dakota State. I have no idea who it was, but the dunk he threw down like almost broke the rim. He had like 13 and 10 in that game. He was really solid. In general, Arkansas is a team that hasn't played anyone yet, but you know, Ricky Council looks like an interesting prospect. He's had 22, 15, and 19 in their three games. Uh, Anthony Black has looked pretty solid defensively. Uh, Jordan Walsh has looked pretty solid defensively. I'm just going to be interested to see what they look like when they get Nick Smith back. And in that vein, it's probably a good thing that they're playing some lesser competition right now, allowing them to maybe gain some confidence playing without Nick Smith so that hopefully when he comes back, they're going to have it. Arkansas is an interesting team in that regard, but Brazil has been the one guy that, that's really caught my eye at their start of the season. He is a freak show of an athlete, yeah. and when he's able to combine that with the confidence he seems to be shooting three-pointers with, I mean, there's 
a real lot of untapped potential that an NBA team could really salivate at. You're going to want to watch how that shot develops and stays consistent throughout the year. He's attacking closeouts a little bit and making solid decisions, getting to the rim. He had a floater against, I believe it was uh, Florida A&M. Is that who they played? Um, but uh, I can't remember who, who that game was. It but he, was, he had, let's see here. It was all up there. South Dakota State, Fordham, or North Dakota State. Yeah, it was the South Dakota State, some team in green. And, uh, yeah, he attacked the closeout and, and had that really nice kind of, like, floater a little bit as he pulled up at, like, six, six feet, seven feet right in front of the basket. If he can be a guy that shoots the ball, attacks closeouts, screen and rolls, cleans up on the glass with his motor, there's so many different toolsy things that he can do there to be an intriguing, like, a hybrid four slash five at the next level. I think that's the pathway forward for him. Uh, a lot of tools that I'm seeing. Uh, okay. Let's, uh, do you, do you want to finish up on KJ Simpson for the Colorado Buffaloes, which are the weirdest team in college basketball this season? No doubt. The weirdest team in college basketball. Uh, they, he had a 30 piece in a complete dismantling of Texas A&M. Uh, and that was a, a surprise, which shouldn't be after they, you know, throttled Tennessee a weekend ago, but like, this is just the least consistent team in America, but they go as KJ goes, uh, 37 and six against Texas A&M. You had a double, double against Tennessee in that win. Like Colorado's confusing, but I think Simpson's really good sophomore breakout type of candidate running the show for the Buffaloes. I just want to read Colorado's last five games <laughs> lost to Grambling state by oh. nine. Beat Tennessee by 12, lost to Massachusetts by three, beat Texas A&M by 28, and dropped 103 in that game, and then lost today to Boise State by 13. This is a weird team. This is a weird team. Tristan De Silva is like an interesting big that's like kind of yeah. – uh, I don't even know how to describe them like a technician almost that can step out and shoot. And then KJ Simpson obviously is doing like, I don't know his best Steph Curry impression, I guess is maybe the way to put it. Like he's just out there trying to score and occasionally makes a good passing read. Just a fascinating, weird team. I've only watched them twice. Uh, I watched the Tennessee game out of curiosity. Um, and then I watched the Massachusetts game in solidarity with our dear friend, Matt Fenny. Uh, but yeah, weird team, weirdo team. Really, really, really weird team. Uh, but I think Simpson's at least a guy worth, worth tracking. Like he's going to put up the numbers this year. And if he can showcase enough feel in ball screens, there might be something there. Okay. You wanted to do prospects of the week. Cause you wanted to be able to shout out a guy that plays for, um, a specific team. And then I'll, I'll shout out uh, another guy here. Um, I, I originally wanted to do Reese Beekman as my prospect of the week, but then he kind of went nuts at the end of the Illinois game and we had to talk about him at the top. Yeah. Let, let's do prospects of the week and then let's get out of here. All right. Uh, my prospect of the week, Norchad Omir for Miami, Florida, the Arkansas state transfer who has now moved into being essentially a small ball five for Jim Laranega, a coach who has found a ton of success over the last couple of years playing a five-out, up-tempo brand of basketball. 
it felt like a match made in heaven if Omir could translate what he does or did at Arkansas State to a high major basketball court. They played three games over the last week. Uh, Miami now sits at four and one after a tough loss to Maryland, but 14 and six today against Maryland and did hit a three pointer, which is a big development for him. 19 and 12 with two blocks against Providence. 21 seven, two blocks, three steals against Florida A&M. 23 of 34 from the field, just an absolute brick house of a human being and has such mobility to him. I think he can be not just an ultimate mismatch guy for a fun Miami team in the NCAA, uh, in, in the ACC this year and hopefully the NCAA tournament, but a sneaky kind of late pro type of prospect if he can show that he shoots the ball consistently. If he can be a stretch undersized big, like I might be able to buy into him in the later part of the second round. Uh, but he's just a really, really fun player on a, an up-tempo Miami team. So, so your vision here is like, like Chuck Hayes kind of? Yeah, Chuck Hayes-ish, like maybe even P.J. Tucker, late Houston Rockets type of like dirty garbage man who defends really physically and just does enough of the corner three thing that he can make it work. Now, that's, that's going to take a lot of development of his jumper to get to that point. But he is he's a load, Sam. Like, guys are not moving him one-on-one. He is incredibly, incredibly strong, even though he's not the biggest guy in the world. Yeah. Um, incredibly strong. Weird player. Not a guy that I would have, like, immediately thought NBA for, but I get, like, he's always been so productive that, like, you do kind of want to buy it. And he's obviously, like, been productive playing for Miami now uh, and was great against... Providence, a team that is very, very high level and was uh, pretty good, if I remember correctly, in the game against UNC Greensboro, uh, had 11 points and four assists in that game, it looks like, or 11 rebounds and four assists in that game. So I don't know. Interesting. I, I dig I dig the idea here. I dig that you're innovating spins. That's, that's the goal. That's, that's what we do with Prospect of the Week, Sam. We're not here to talk about Victor Wembanyama. He's he could always be the prospect of the week, right? Like That's we gotta true. unearth some new gems here. And and Omer was one guy who just has translated from one level to the next that I thought that that deserved getting a little bit of a spotlight this week. I love it. I absolutely love it. Uh, my prospect of the week is going to be Dante Scott. And uh. Dante Scott had a pair of monster monster games this weekend uh, for Maryland. He's a guy that six foot seven. Big, long, super physical, strong, had shown some flashes shooting the ball early in his career. He's been on NBA scouts radars for multiple years now. Is someone that scouts have been waiting for. And a lot of it has come down to him. Uh, he got a little bit out of shape last year, just being real with it. This year, he came into the season, he dropped 25 pounds to start the year. He was up at like 260 last year. It's down to 235 is what he's listed at right now. And you can see that he's much more explosive and just looks like a totally different player now. Uh, he looks a lot more polished. He's clearly put in a lot of work on his game, but more than anything, the explosiveness is what's real. Uh, they played two really good teams this weekend in St. Louis, who I thought has been really, really strong in the game that I saw them play. Uh, who, who did I see them play before the Maryland game? They played um, They played Memphis, that's right, and they beat Memphis by six. Yeah. Super senior-oriented Memphis team. And then 
Maryland just went in there and beat the absolute doors off of them uh, in that game over the weekend on Saturday. Dante Scott had 25 points, five rebounds. He made two threes, got to the foul line seven times, was absolutely terrific. And then in their game against Miami, another high major team, made three threes, had eight rebounds, three assists, 24 points, was physical, was strong. They play like Hakeem Hart, him, and Julian Reese, like across the front court. None of those guys are really centers. They're all kind of fours, to be honest with it. But it works because they're all flexible, and now they're all versatile enough defensively to really make things work. Um Kevin Willard is a good team this year. They have yeah. Donald Carey as well, a guy that I've always kind of sneaky liked at Georgetown, yep. but the Georgetown thing is just a total nightmare. And Don't remind me. Uh, I don't know if you're allowed to talk about that being in the area, but like, holy shit. Well, what a, and I'm, an, I'm an alum too. I got my master's from Georgetown. So I, I, have, I have a strange like desire to always root for them while also never want to watch their games because it's never pretty. Uh, yeah, I've, I've liked Carrie for a long time too. And, and quick shout out to Jameer Young, uh, another Charlotte yeah. transfer going up to Maryland, who's been fairly productive scoring the basketball to start too. Kevin Willard can coach his ass off. He's so good. He's so, he is so good as a basketball yeah. coach and doesn't get, he, he's always been the guy like in the big East where it'd be like, you know, who doesn't get enough credit? Kevin Willard. <laughs> he, he isn't, you know, Seton Hall's made the tournament the last five years. Kevin Willard's a great basketball coach. He doesn't get enough credit for being a great basketball coach well he's now five and oh with maryland and if he keeps this up he's going to get a lot of credit for being a great basketball coach i can guarantee you that if you turn around maryland and you play a brand of basketball that those fans like watching after the turgeon years they are never going to let you forget about it because oh my goodness are they starved for good basketball yes we are sam that's about 25 30 minutes down the road and we are starving for it yeah, between Maryland and Georgetown, the, the Georgetown thing—it's we got to end the Patrick Ewing thing. It's bad. It's really bad. It's not good. It's not good. <laughs> we uh, we got to finish that because here, here's the best encapsulation of Georgetown. Patrick Ewing's been there for five years now. Um, they've never finished higher than ninth in the Big East in defensive efficiency. There are 10 teams or 11 teams in the Big East in all of his years at Georgetown. To never finish above ninth for a program that traditionally has been about toughness, playing physical post players, strength, like that. the entire Georgetown basketball brand in my mind is about tough basketball players. It is such a statement on what that program has become under Ewing that they have never finished higher than ninth in defense, defensive efficiency in the big East. And you just watch them. I mean, I've watched them now twice this year, uh, mainly because I wanted to get eyes on Brandon Murray. And then I watched them over the weekend. Cause I was just kind of curious. Uh, once I saw the score of uh, the game against Loyola Marymount, uh, it's just, there's no accountability defensively. Like there just isn't like you watch them and they don't rotate. Well, it's not like they're like really playing aggressively defensively, like even Kentucky tonight, right? Like Kentucky didn't play well defensively, 
but like Kaysom Wallace is super aggressive defensively. Severe Wheeler, say what he is, he's over aggressive, I think, more than anything, but he plays hard. Um, Georgetown, like it, it just feels like there, there's no real defensive intensity there. And, and it's a shame. It's a real shame. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And, and like Ewing era here at Georgetown has been, um, prolonged by him winning three games one march all consecutively yeah. and making it to the ncaa tournament and that's that's how we got to where we're at right now so i hope it gets fixed in one way or another I obviously would like to see it be ewing because he's the guy that's there right now but uh i think there's a lot of evidence mounting up that shows that's not going to be the case yeah no i agree uh spins you got to get to bed do you have anything that you're excited about cooking this weekend for Thanksgiving? So I am going and visiting my parents, uh, flying home to, to see my folks. It'll be my wife and I and, and my parents, just the four of us. So a smaller Thanksgiving. Um, we'll still see, like, um, you know, I'm 30 years old and I'm not really allowed to cook things in my mother's kitchen still. So we'll, we'll see what, <laughs> what this weekend uh, really bears out. But my wife and I did have, I'll, I'll just throw this out there, a really good meal this weekend. We made some uh, braised barbecue short ribs in the slow cooker with like a peach jalapeno barbecue sauce. Fantastic. Uh, yeah, paired it with some some garlic mashed potatoes and, and some carrots. Best home meal we've had in a long, long period of time. Absolutely terrific. I love to hear that, Spence. That sounds absolutely delicious now uh, i'm going to the grocery store uh after we're done here and getting some getting some healthier options for the start of this week so that we feel okay about going disastrous uh near the end of the week yeah i was gonna say are you doing a, a traditional american thanksgiving over there this year yeah we'll do it on saturday um at laura's parents house but yeah um, we will do traditional Thanksgiving. Couldn't be more excited for it. Um, you know, give me, give me a, I'll ask Schindler this later in the week and oh, assuredly we'll get some very questionable answers. I feel like your answers will be a bit more respectable. What is your favorite Thanksgiving dish or side dish? We, we, we can tell Mark, you said that, uh, no, no doubt about it. Uh, I think for me, I am always going to be just drawn to, some combination of stuffing potatoes and gravy, mixing them all up, like getting yeah. potatoes and stuffing on a plate and just dumping gravy on all of them. I could, I, I like Turkey. I like ham. I know some people are, are, are ham folks for Thanksgiving. I'll eat either of them if they're on the plate. Yeah. I, I like them both. Uh, yeah. But to me, it's, it's all about dumping gravy on one of those two items and just mixing it all around and eating it. That's, that's number one on the power rankings for me. Yeah. You're just gravy. Yeah. That's all you're, you're number one is gravy. <laughs> Inject it into the veins, Sam. Hook up the gravy IV. I, I am a big stuffing person. I just want yeah. stuffing. Um, that, that's it. Any kind that you give me um, that has bread. I'm not like a rice stuffing kind of guy, but anything that has bread. Give me uh, a bread-based stuffing and I'm happy. Adam, I hope you have a great Thanksgiving. Tell the people where they can find your work. Tell the people uh, where they can find you on the internet. And a happy Thanksgiving to you and yours as well, Sam. Uh, for those of you out there that haven't followed me on Twitter already, please do so at the box and one underscore or find me on YouTube. My name is Adam Spinella there. 
Our Substack page, theboxin1.substack.com, has a bunch of stuff coming out covering the NBA draft as well as a weekly piece breaking down some of the, the few uh, minor points that we find in watching NBA games. Really excited about some future projects we have coming out there, including some scouting stuff that's going to uh, be really, really large coming out around the holiday time. But Sam, this is this is always so much fun being with you on here. Thank you for for having me on to, to talk hoops. It's always the best, Adam. This has been the Game Theory Podcast. Please remember, rate, review, subscribe, do everything you can to support the show. We will be back later this week with what will assuredly be some very questionable Thanksgiving takes from Mark Schindler. Uh, look forward to those. Until next time, we'll talk soon. Bye. Bye.